0: From Bentonville, the epicenter of retail's hometown, it's the Supplier Community Podcast, giving you 24 7 access to a community of emerging and experienced thought leaders in the retail space. Enjoy the show.
1: Hey, it's Cynthia with Supplier Community.
0: And Josh with Supplier Community, thank you for joining us for today's edition of the Supplier Community Podcast.
1: We're doing something totally different today. For this bonus edition of the Supplier Community Podcast, we're helping the gang over at ROI Revolution celebrate the 20th episode of their own podcast, Let's Get Digital, all about growing your brand online.
0: Listen in as digital marketing experts Alex Wynn and Haley Altman have fun talking about paid search. If you're interested in discovering best practice strategies and tactics for success that will transform you into an expert of all things digital and e-commerce marketing, then this is the podcast for you. Expect personality, witty banter, priceless insights, and fascinating facts that will keep you up to date with emerging trends.
1: Each episode is packed with insights for retailers and lead gen in B2B and D2C that cover a range of services, including PPC, social media, SEO, CRO, and And that Amazon advertising thing everybody's talking about. This digital marketing podcast is brought to you by the brand growth experts at ROI Revolution in
0: Raleigh, North Carolina. So let's throw it over to them and take it away.
2: What happened in 2019?
3: Oh wow, that's a big, big question. Big question. <laughs> <Yeah. Specific>. personally <laughs> or professionally? <laughs> Let's start personal.
1: Oh. Let's start personal. Well, <laughs> and then and, and then <laughs> professional. Oh. <laughs>
2: Hi listeners, welcome to our 20th episode of Let's Get Digital. We are super excited. This is the first of two parts. So we're going to be talking about our paid search report. There are 40 pages of data and insights in this report. So it's a really deep read. And we've got Sarah Davis here. She is a content marketing specialist. You might be familiar with Sarah from her exceptional blog posts on the ROI website. Welcome, Sarah.
3: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
2: We're excited to have you. So just kind of kicking off the report, I noticed right at the beginning, I was already reading about Amazon.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: What's going on with that?
3: Yeah. Amazon was huge in 2019. 2019 was actually the first year where Amazon surpassed Google for product searches. So more people are now searching on Amazon for products than on Google, which is pretty mind blowing if you think about it, because Google is like the top search engine that you ever think about. But Amazon is kind of surpassing it on that front. I guess
4: it's not necessarily like it came out of nowhere. I mean, yes, it happened very quickly, right. but it, maybe it's because we're just in the agency day-to-day, but it's, it's no secret that Amazon is blowing up. I mean, they own right. half True, yeah. of everything at this point. They're always mm-hmm. in the news. We know all about Jeff. It's crazy. And now it's oh, here, Jeff. right? Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. And also Google, you know, has been around for a while and it's kind of, you know, it's not declining in growth in any way, but it's kind of just plateauing maybe a little Mm -hmm. bit, whereas Amazon is just growing a lot and is going to keep growing and has been growing for a few years now, so...
2: Yeah, I thought it was super interesting in the report. I think that you'd mentioned that the Google market share is expected to drop this coming year from Mm -hmm. 73 to 70.5 percent. Right. Um, Is Amazon really the culprit there?
3: Yeah. So Amazon got a huge boost this year from product searches. So that was definitely a big culprit with Google's market share declining. Amazon is going to be the only company who sees some steady growth over the next few years, whereas Google and the other one are going to be going down a lot. Another really big culprit with that was mobile. We all know mobile is huge. If you're not already doing mobile, then you're pretty late to the game. But it's just going to continue getting bigger. And it represents a huge increase in the ad share across all the platforms for paid search. So I would say that was one of the biggest trends we saw in 2019.
4: Wow. But, yeah. Yeah.
3: Makes sense. I was just going to throw in there. I think that, you know, when I read
2: these stats, like Google's market share declining so much, my big picture mind just goes to Google declining as a whole, but that's not really the case. It's just the share. So right. the paid search industry as a whole, though, has it been seeing continuous year over year growth?
3: Definitely. Yeah. It's definitely been growing. Paid search isn't going to be going anywhere anytime soon.
4: Yeah. yeah. I, I see in the report here that last year was 55.2% billion dollars?
3: Yeah. Wow. Crazy amount. It's, again, yeah.
4: one of those numbers that there's just no way to really visualize.
3: <laughs> it's kind of hard yeah. to wrap your mind yeah. around that much money. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> One crazy. billion dollars is enough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, however big that is, one billion is 1,000 million. 55 billion is... $55,000
4: <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Oh, well, and so that's that's really what the report opens up with is, mm-hmm. is kind of an overview of what happened last year. But then right. I know you also focus on some tips and maybe some even secret kind yeah, of Yeah, definitely.
3: So throughout the report, we have about 15 different secret tips from our different paid search experts throughout the company. Mm-hmm. So we can talk about those a little bit, but definitely go into a lot more detail with them in the report.
4: Sure, sure. And so along with these tips, I I know one of the next sections coming up is specifically on new ad formats. Mm -hmm. And so as we talk about paid search continuing to grow, I mean, again, it's all only accessed through our computer. But along with that, they have to create some sort of more ad real estate. Mm -hmm. And and so I guess my mind thinks they have to come out with new ad types. So are there any key ad types to note that are either new or maybe underutilized?
3: As far as new ones, one that we saw a ton of growth with in 2019 was Google Smart Shopping. That is something that uses artificial intelligence and machine learning to show your ads to the right people at the right time it's really targeted yeah no
2: i think that that's a really good point point. and what a lot of people probably don't realize about smart shopping is just how many places it can show up right and kind of like you were saying alex it just creates way more ad real estate so mm-hmm. for all the listeners who aren't super familiar with smart shopping it can show on shopping it can show on display network youtube and is it gmail yep so Google will, you know, spread the reach out a little bit more if it thinks that it can achieve the goals that you're setting in those campaigns. And I know that for my clients, we've been able to scale revenue and spend in shopping a mm-hmm. lot more. I would say 20 to 30 mm-hmm. percent per client.
3: Yeah, Definitely around thirty percent.
4: Yep. I think the other benefit too with this is is that because it has those display placements, it's got the YouTube, mm-hmm. the Gmail, is that married with the standard shopping ad. I guess at the overall level, you're gonna see much lower CPCs. True. And so while you yeah. are able to scale that thirty percent, you're only paying, you know, five to eight percent more because it is cheaper real estate. But then to your point, it's getting in front of the right people. Right. It's it's actually performing, it's a fully automated strategy. And and i yeah, personally mm-hmm. I've been blown away by performance so far.
3: Yeah. Yes, that's a great point. One of the best things about Google Smart Shopping, I would say, is that it just keeps getting better and better over time. As you have it in front of your audience more, as it's continuing to collect data on your audience and what they're doing, it's just going to learn more. It's artificial intelligence. So the more data it has, the more time it has to learn that data and analyze it, the smarter it's going to get and the better your campaigns are going to be.
2: Yeah, for sure. And just on the shopping topic, I noticed that in the report you mentioned gallery ads and shopping showcase ads. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are relatively new still, right? I think that in the past year or so, year or two years, Alex, do you know?
4: So I think gallery ads are going to be the newest ad format. Okay. Shopping okay. showcase was uh, probably about two years ago. Two years now, ago, When it okay. first came to market. But since then, it's really fallen off. And I don't know if it's because we've just been focused on smart shopping all of a sudden. That's my theory. Yeah, Yeah,
3: that (laughs) might be part of it. I think Google's trying to up their game with it a little bit more. You know, they did some updates in 2019, so they can appear in Google Images, the Google Discover feed, and also on YouTube now.
4: Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so for listeners who might not be as familiar with these ad types, um, Shopping Showcase, at least from my, I guess, outdated perspective on them, um, (laughs) we're a way to serve against really generic terms. So instead of that... That specific query that you know you want to bid aggressively on. Mm -hmm. It's a way to showcase your brand for a relevant query. So um, the example I always use is if you were to type in backpacks, you may get an ad for Land's End. And instead of just a typical backpack by Land's End, instead you would see like three kids in an image all running around in a field with these different color backpacks. And so instead of clicking directly to a product page, it opens up its own ad format in your browser Mm -hmm. and then showcases that header image that represents Land's End along with a long list of related products. So it still is a product mm-hmm. ad, but again, serving on a general term like backpacks instead of a very specific one, really to get the user introduced into your brand. Right. And so it was a very top of funnel strategy. Mm-hmm. It was tough to get investment and buy-in from clients because it was that top of funnel, which yeah. we know is important, but right. it's a really tough sell sometimes. Yeah,
3: definitely. Brand awareness is obviously really important, but it's just so difficult because you can't really track the profits you get from it. You can't track it properly. Yeah. Exactly. It's also a really wide time frame, So you don't know, you know, if stuff is coming from one or two years ago mm-hmm. it's hard to track that but obviously it's still very important because people can't buy from your brand if they don't know who you are so
4: right right no absolutely
2: that's very true so what exactly is the difference between gallery ads and showcase shopping ads
3: I would say gallery ads are really great for people who have high-quality creative already. Um, those are going to be some images that show up at the top of your search results, and it will also have a little bit of copy about your product. Hmm. Whereas with shopping showcase ads, they're more focused on the top of funnel, specifically with the brand awareness and educating buyers at the very beginning of their shopping journey. That makes sense.
4: So do we have anything in the report about performance for these gallery ads? Do we know kind of how they stack up?
3: So gallery ads can actually boost your interactions by as much as 25%. Wow. Yeah.
4: And one thing I do want to call out for the statistics used in the paid search report, mm-hmm. the ones around specific initiatives and strategies, right. are these just paid search as a whole or are these particular for our agency?
3: These are particular for our agency. So all mm-hmm. the stats you'll see, unless they're specifically called out, are success that we've seen with our clients.
4: Awesome. That's great. Yeah, I feel like that with case great. studies, it's always yeah. the one-off, you know, like, oh, a thousand percent revenue <laughs> mm-hmm. growth, everyone right? Yeah, but,
3: but no, this is mm-hmm. what we've seen across the agency. Yeah, actual so accounts, And it's, actual it's, it's actual been people. really great. And how
2: many accounts is Again, I know you mentioned the report. How
3: many accounts we used for this? So to compile this data, we actually looked at over 450 brands, and it was a compilation of over 400 million dollars in revenue. So we really gathered and analyzed a ton of data for this report, which is really exciting.
2: Yeah, that is super exciting, and it's all from you know clients of different industries too. Right. Just based on what we have in our portfolio here, Mm -hmm. ROI. So uh, these takeaways can definitely be applied across the board.
3: Yeah, definitely. Tons of different verticals, tons of different types of companies of different sizes. Yeah. and then one last really interesting ad format
2: that you talked about in this report, Sarah, was discovery ads. Mm-hmm. Curious to know, just any data there, Alex, have you tested them for any of your clients? Yeah,
4: actually. So we have one client, and this is, it's ridiculous that (laughs) pretty much anything we try for them works. And they- Dream
2: client. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) But
4: But it's not what you'd expect because they sell materials and actual collectible stamps. I think Ah. I may have called them out on the podcast before, (laughs) but it's it's such a niche market, uh, just such a unique person who's going to be on their site, which is why we get to play around with a lot of these very top of the funnel strategies- because yeah, we, we know how to find them. And so the discovery campaigns we run work off our existing targeting that we use for your standard display campaigns okay. and your prospecting audiences. So things like custom intent, custom affinity. But instead of you know following them all around the web and, mm-hmm. and the banner ads, it's instead going to be this very native looking image ad that's going to fall within the Google feed. So okay. um, if people are opted into this, you can have your interests, your hobbies, and, and give Google a little bit more information so they can kind of serve you. Do you guys remember a website called Stumble? Upon?
3: Yes. A long time ago? Yeah. Wow. So, yes. So, wow, so, throw, yeah, back throw back to like middle right? school. And,
4: and so I think in, in my eyes, I related to this because you give Google these signals I'm into, you know, football or whatever else. I, I'm not, but. <laughs> um, and, and then they're going to serve you relevant content. So it's a new ad format that looks very clean and it'll come oh. through. You already say, hey, I'm interested in these things. Oh, wow. And, and so far, it's, it's not quite the same scale or performance that we're seeing with our existing campaigns, but okay. there is traffic. And I feel like typically with new ad formats, Say you know, either gas out overnight or just never get off the ground. So yeah, yeah. pretty encouraged to see this. It's a reasonable start. I think it's something we'll be scaling over the next couple of months here. But yeah. it, again, super native looking, high interaction rates. And it, it's another great branding initiative, too.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm Definitely. sure that the learning phase and an ad type like that is critical, and it probably takes a little bit longer.
4: For both the algorithm and us. Yeah. yeah, right, yeah okay, absolutely. Yeah, that goes I mean, uh. Yeah. Yeah. And a brand new ad format. We really don't know how to optimize yet. So we're yeah. going to play around a little bit, right. see what boosted. We have different images coming down the pipeline for us to test out. So we'll definitely keep you all posted with how that goes.
3: Yeah. It's nice that you're able to test things yourself and kind of figure it out exactly. on a hands-on way like that.
4: Mm-hmm, exactly.
3: Yeah, I think that's something really important to remember with anything that uses artificial intelligence, because you have to be a little bit patient while it's still Mm -hmm. learning. You're not going to see results right away. Uh, Just like a person, it has to learn and take in all that data and analyze it and figure out the best way to use it. But as long as you're patient and just wait for it to get through that learning period, you're going to see really great results.
2: Definitely. And that actually made me think of something that we did on Facebook one time, which, you know, obviously this isn't a paid search channel, but you have those latent conversions on Facebook Mm -hmm. and you can have those through Google ads too, which normally come if you're using the actual Google ads attribution models. And, you know, we had a campaign where we were running, you know, some prospecting lookalike audiences, which is like a similar to audience on Google. And we saw zero, like literally zero zero conversions from a traffic campaign we were running. And then a month later, all of those clicks turned to conversions and it was like, <laughs> oh, the, that's how people discovered us. And then huh. they went and bought, it was like to prep for, I think it was like a golf shoe being released mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. And then the day that the shoe dropped, all of those traffic clicks turned into conversions. It was crazy. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, you know, just taking some of those learnings into consideration to thinking about which attribution you're going to use to measure the success and mm-hmm. taking that into account when you're deciding how long to consider. And that actually is a great segue into the next section of the report where we Talk about how multi channel is mandatory. Right.
4: I like that tag. I do too. <laughs> I know. The
2: alliteration, risky. you know. Yes. yes yeah. I do too. There's a lot of clients who I think, you know, they only want to do that really bottom funnel mm-hmm. advertising. And a lot of the times that means paid search advertising. So, When we're talking about channels, can you tell us about, you know, which other channels we're talking about where we think clients should be?
3: Yeah. So Amazon is obviously a great place to be. We've already talked all about that and the growth there, but also other places like you were mentioning, Facebook is a great, really great place for top of funnel awareness. That brand awareness is just so important. The least you can do is make sure you're in front of their eyes as much as possible. So yeah, on Facebook, Instagram, Amazon, even some growing platforms like Snapchat and TikTok. I know, oh, I, yes. know. Our, our I, favorites. Favorites. I know, I know, I <laughs> know, I know. Those are for a lot of the younger consumers, but Generation Z is actually estimated to become forty percent of all consumers next year. Oh, that's a crazy t- stat. I know. Can you give
2: just more insight on? Why that number is so high.
3: (laughs) So I think it's because, I mean, Generation Z is really becoming 18 and older now, which is really weird to think about. But I mean, it's 2020. There's kids who are in college who were born in 2002, which is really weird to think about. So yeah, yeah, once they, I'm not sure exactly what the cutoff is. I assume maybe like once you become 18, that's when you become a a viable consumer and you can make your own purchasing decisions and everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing that they just consume
2: more than previous generations too, because forty percent, like you know, obviously Gen Z isn't going to be forty percent of all generations over. Right, mm-hmm.
3: right. That's probably playing a part in it too, especially with the growth of online shopping and mobile shopping and all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, True. that's really taking off for them more than it has in previous generations at their age. Now we they have a new generation to blame at least. That's right. it's not our fault. Right. <laughs> Gen Zers, now we're the
2: mature, <laughs> humble ones. Right.
4: <laughs> I, I wouldn't go that. (laughs) (laughs) I guess then the main topic of this section or the main takeaway is be it microchip or TikTok or Facebook (laughs) or Amazon or your website, it doesn't matter where users are finding you. You should probably have consistent messaging. I I mean, if you're going to be a brand. (laughs) Definitely. We know. Yeah. So that the 18 year olds, they are being hit with trillions of ads. They're using it through so many different platforms. Mm If you're not speaking to someone in all of those different touch points that are important for them, you're Mm -hmm. missing out because someone else is guaranteed to be there.
1: Right. You don't have a branded microchip.
3: I don't want it. (laughs) Yeah. And the thing with that is, too, you definitely want to be on all those platforms. And to your point, you also want to have a consistent message across all of those platforms. Right. Obviously, there's different audiences on those platforms. And depending on your product and where exactly you're trying to target them, it'll be different. So there might be differences in the copy or just kind of your positioning, but overall, you want to make sure you have that consistent brand voice so that people can kind of feel like you're a strong brand and associate you with certain things. And I think that we've discussed this before
2: on here, but I think that you should really look at messaging by audience, not by platform. So, you know, some people Mm -hmm. will think that they need to have different messaging on social versus paid search, but you really shouldn't look at it like that. You should look at it like our top, top, top funnel brand awareness audience has a certain level of messaging. Mm -hmm. It's normally really heavy on the brand and less heavy on the actual conversion. And then as you move down in the funnel, you want to make that messaging a little bit more tailored. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the goal is that if you do a good enough job with your messaging at the top, then it's going to carry through to just seeing your brand name in a search ad. Right,
3: exactly. And that just goes to show it's really important what you put at the top because first impressions are everything. That's Mm -hmm. kind of going to influence what they do throughout the rest of their entire buyer journey and how they associate your brand with different things.
2: Absolutely. So were there any statistics on just kind of the growth of instagram versus facebook as a platform
3: as far as instagram versus facebook there was a lot of growth instagram is actually going to be really great like we were talking about for gen z as well as millennials it has one billion active users and actually most of instagram's <laughs> active users use the platform for at least one hour per day y'all
2: i was going over <laughs>
3: so you're adding to that and statistic. Not just instagram y'all
2: My shopping apps. I was spending two hours a day on ShopBop, Revolve, like (laughs) Anthropologies app. I mean, Uh, I just browse.
3: And as far as Facebook and other platforms like the Google Display Network, for example, our clients actually invested more in Facebook last year than they did in the Google Display Network. Mm. Just kind of goes to show how important social is, especially like we've been talking about for brand awareness and everything like that. It's crucial.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's crucial for growth. Especially mm-hmm. that being said, I would love for that investment in Google Display Network to grow. But right. I think that a lot of the problem there, there's a few things. I think that first of all, Facebook and Instagram they do have better targeting capabilities just because of the plethora of user data they have. Mm-hmm. But also, I think that a lot of clients and even people who manage paid search lack just kind of the education of what Google can be used for and what its right. capabilities yeah. are, and they look at their Google budget in a very different way and they hold it to a different standard than their social media budgets and mm-hmm. We see that every day. So, you know, it's going to be a long road, but we really need to, I think, work on getting them to look at display network like a social network.
3: Exactly. Mm -hmm. That'll be really important. And that's just one aspect of where Google is really trying to grow in addition to the display network. Like we were talking about, Google Shopping is just going to keep growing. And that has really great targeting capabilities as well. Facebook and Instagram have all that data, but Google has a lot of data too. Absolutely. Um, It's getting way better. Yeah. And, you know, with artificial intelligence and machine learning and all of that, the targeting is going to keep getting better.
4: Changing gears a little bit, then, away from top-of-funnel branding and, and reach, I do want to kind of lean on the artificial intelligence that we're talking about, mm-hmm. but from a search perspective. Okay. And, so I know you have a section in the report about dynamic search ads, which mm-hmm. really aren't A new ad format, in my eyes, at least. I I guess I'm not sure the exact date of. Yeah,
3: no, they've been around for about nine years. Actually, yeah, Yeah, yeah.
1: so so they are not new. (laughs) It's it's nine
3: years in 2020 Have they gotten better with automation getting
2: better, or what have you seen there?
4: Me personally?
2: Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah so. <laughs> yeah, yeah you. you. I mean, you've um, been managing search for what? Thre-
4: two, to thre- three years? Yeah, yeah. Years? Coming up on three here. And so, <laughs> DSAs, they really haven't changed much in my tenure here.
3: Okay. Like, when okay. I
4: started, again, you you would give them categories, and it would direct mm-hmm. traffic towards pages related to those categories. Right. And so, I think really the changes that have happened to them are likely behind the scenes. Because okay. where, when I first started, DSAs were, uh, man, we, we used all our strategy this month. I got nothing left. Let's launch a DSA campaign and call it a catch-all. Okay, it was yeah. kind of like, a we'll make sure that we have coverage on traffic, but now... Yeah. DSA is a legitimate strategy. It's, oh, it's something yeah. we lean on heavy in our accounts for that non-branded coverage. And mm-hmm. uh, I guess just for the listeners who might not be aware, dynamic search ads are just going to be Google's automated answer to non-branded search, where someone types in a term, they recognize on your web page, hey, you have stuff related to that term. Let's mm-hmm. create this very tailored, dynamic headline that's going to match your query nice and give you a little snippet of what <laughs> you can expect on the page. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's something that we've really focused on. But Sarah, I'm curious, do you have any data? How does it look for other ROI? R-wires. I can
2: yeah. tell you Growing. how it looks for this wire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think that with DSAs, I've really learned in the past few months that, first of all, the quality of your website matters a lot with DSAs. I think that Google's ability to crawl a good website versus a bad website is very different. And that is, you know, kind of like the quality of your keywords. Mm-hmm. But also I have seen incredible success with using like a target ROAS bid strategy since you're getting all those different valued conversions through a DSA campaign. Mm-hmm. If you're keeping it wrapped up into all pages. Right. And by just keeping one ad group on in our DSAs, we've been able to scale them a ton with the target
4: ROAS. Mm-hmm. And for non-braided search. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You- you think with non-branded terms, it's going to be you know horribly expensive? Yeah. And-
2: yeah. So I mean, it's it's expensive. It doesn't perform the way obviously our branded search does. But you know, as long as we set those expectations with the clients, we've seen it work really well. I will say we've also used dynamic search ads and not put in any branded terms as a negative. So in other words, that would mean we've been able to catch some branded terms with them. And uh, what we've seen is normally they'll go to the branded search campaigns first. Mm-hmm. But if for some reason they're missed there, they will fall into the DSA. And we've been able to scale there too. Interesting, But for the most part, yeah, we leave them as non-branded. Yeah. I mean, I've just found that by like wrapping them together as much as possible mm-hmm. and using that automated bid strategy, they've been able to just like soar.
3: Yeah, I think a really good takeaway from that is that Google is investing a lot of time and effort still in this search type and making sure they work with automation and everything. And even though they have been around for nine years, which is just kind of crazy to think about, this kind of thing has been around for almost a decade. They can still be a really great untapped revenue goldmine for your brand.
2: Yeah, I think that with DSAs, it's always a challenge kind of explaining these to clients because they just... I mean, it's hard to wrap your head around the fact that it's that simple to be able to use your whole website to target. (laughs) So when you're getting buy-in from clients on dynamic search ads, Alex, what are some tactics you've used to just really explain to them the value of them and how they really are not too good to be true?
4: Sure. Yeah. I think what's important is that you you have to understand it's not going to be an end-all be-all. It's not going to make sure that you get the best performance because yes, it is a highly tailored ad copy Mm -hmm. and it does perform well. You still need to make sure it's a good, sustainable, long-term strategy. Mm -hmm. And so when we typically recommend a DSA campaign, we will make sure that we have a plan in place for after DSA. And so what Mm -hmm. that means for us is we are going to harvest the queries because unlike smart shopping, you can still see all of the landing pages they sent users to, what keywords they matched. And so what we'll do is on a routine basis, look at that data for some analysis and find out, Hey, this is a keyword that we don't already have in the account, Mm -hmm. but it matches to our DSA campaign. And Google thinks this is a good landing page. And the conversion rates are off the charts. So from our end, we want to build that out in a manual non-branded campaign, make even stronger ad copy that's going to be super relevant to that query that did well before and just scale the heck out of that. Yeah. Yeah. And so so that makes sure that it's long-term. You're not changing your DSA campaign. It's still going to continue being that catch-all and having those good headlines, but you're able to really focus on non-branded that before you would have never known if that non-branded keyword and that landing page would have worked. But it's a great way to get actual performance data on things that you may not have even thought of in the past
2: that's a really great way to look at it
4: <laughs> And so I guess DSA campaigns, after being here for nine years, which is <laughs> virtually forever. Right. Um, but yeah, in well,
3: internet years, it is. Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. true.
4: <laughs> we'll speed things back up to today, to an ad type that, yes, it's been around for a little while, but they're always coming out with latest and greatest. And to me, that's YouTube. Right. Uh, and I know you focus on that in, in the report. Can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about what, what's in the report on YouTube?
3: Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about YouTube on the blog, on the podcast, everywhere. We've been talking about YouTube and the growth of video marketing as well as just video advertising so creating videos that showcase your products and also creating the videos that show up as ads before people's videos that show so these ads on YouTube can show up in discover feeds they can show up before videos during videos after videos or just on the sidebar with related videos, they're another really great play for brand awareness, remarketing, re-engagement, that kind of thing. And then they can also tie back to Google with TrueView for Google Shopping, Mm. and that helps direct consumers right back to the products that are in the video without having that kind of friction in the middle, so they just get to the next step really easily. So YouTube is a really, really great platform that, again, we've seen a ton of growth on for our clients, Mm -hmm. and it's going to keep growing.
4: Wow. I'm just trying to think through all of the yeah the different placements you named off to and it's it's yeah. crazy cuz YouTube is it's the second largest search engine? It is. True? I yeah. think so. It is the yeah. second largest yeah. search engine. Wow. And so of course Google is going to let it show in a million different formats and a million right. different places so they mm-hmm. can really make as much money out of yeah. it as possible. But yeah, Allie, do you run any YouTube? We do. We, we
2: run it for a few of our clients and a lot of it has been, you know, YouTube tests. I think that we're doing a brand lift test right now through YouTube. Wow. Uh, cool. So I don't have any results there, but we're really excited. The goal is just to see kind of a lift in our branded searches and be able to scale those a bit more. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, just the targeting capabilities on YouTube and all of the different options and the Mm -hmm. optimizations you can do. It's pretty incredible.
3: It is. It's definitely a really great platform to leverage and it's going to continue to be.
2: So when thinking about YouTube, I always wonder who's on it. Who is using YouTube the most? (laughs) So do you guys think that it's really, really millennial heavy or do
3: you think that it's distributed pretty evenly? I think it really depends just because there's so many different types of videos on YouTube. Mm -hmm. There's product Mm -hmm. videos, there's vlogs, there's News. There's just such a wide variety of different types of videos that pretty much anyone could be interested in. So it's just about finding the target audience that you have and where they are on YouTube and what kind of videos they would be watching. And then another thing with YouTube, too, that a lot of people do is just product reviews. So people might Mm, be watching those before they buy the product. So that's another really great place to showcase your ad. Or maybe if the product is for one of your competitors, you could put your ad on that video.
4: Sure. Yeah, That's absolutely. Really well, and speaking of reviews, we we know that those are important. I think in the uh, the Tech and Trends report, we focus a little bit on social proof. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything specifically around reviews and what that looks like from a paid search vantage point?
3: Yeah, so in the report, we have a section from one of our partners. It's one of our secret tips. Oh, Ooh. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> about Google Seller ratings, and these are the star ratings that display underneath the URL on Google Ads. Hmm. So uh, they're a really great way to demonstrate to possible buyers that other people actually. try trust in your product because we all know Mm -hmm. how important Mm -hmm. social proof is. All of us look up reviews before we buy a product. We want to make sure we're not wasting our time and our money. So Google actually says that this seller ratings extension benefits both searchers and businesses because it can increase click-through rates by 10% on average. Wow. Um, So you do need a couple things to do this. You need 100 reviews in the country where the GSR is going to be showing up Mm -hmm. and you need at least a score of 3.5 for it to show up.
4: Okay, yeah. Oh, that's, mm-hmm. I didn't even think about that. Right? Yeah, it's probably cool.
3: for the best, honestly.
4: Here's my uh-huh. one-star
0: website. <laughs> Click you know, me. Yep.
2: I, think that, I think that this is, we talked about this with Amir, the Marketplace's strategist, a few weeks ago, but I think that that's one of the keys to Amazon's success is just yeah. how heavily they focus on reviews. Mm-hmm.
3: Definitely. I don't know if y'all have seen, I think it's on Sorry, who has a skit, and he's talking about how you can't even buy a toothbrush without looking at reviews <laughs> yep, for it. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, everything has to have some kind of social proof. I want to know that another human being used right. this product and liked it, and it lasted. Yeah, I think that's honestly the most valuable type of thing. Mm-hmm. Before I buy a product, I want to make sure that other people who are like me have used the product and been able to use it successfully.
4: I like
2: to be surprised.
4: <laughs> <laughs> i go against yeah. <laughs> I hide all the reviews. Reviews. <laughs> when
2: when we're talking about prospecting or even just getting new customers to buy in those reviews are going to be really important because it's kind of just a safety barrier that mm-hmm. they you can kind of get them through and they're less nervous about getting to know your company and buying from you mm-hmm.
3: right yeah I will say,
4: so kind of a, a hot take here. So I think oh, some reviews are— He only buys
2: one star
0: eight. products. <laughs> yeah, they're kind
4: of BS because, okay, so I just, I just finished <laughs> okay. a project, right? And so I was looking at, like, an expensive part online, and I ended up getting directed to Walmart's website. So I'm okay. scrolling down, and, of course, naturally I go to the reviews. And then I noticed there's 30 reviews. i like, "Oh my god, five stars. This, this is what I need." But all 30 reviews happened on the same day Ooh. within like an hour and a half. And so then I started reading. That's I literally sketchy. like yeah, put my project on hold to, to go after Walmart. And and so <laughs> one guy outed this in, I I mean, obviously oh we, we maybe this happens Spill and the I'm team. Just, yeah. <laughs> he was like he commented, "I am writing this review because Walmart gave me a free product to do so." And then I think it's great, here's why. But all of the other reviews, once I had seen this guy like fess up, this is for product, mm-hmm. everyone else was just way too happy about the product. Because yeah. in client services, no one gives five stars. They have four stars because they can always do better. But sure. everyone, there are these glowing reviews. So I just think reviews should be a authentic and honest process mm-hmm. gathered over time.
3: Yeah. As opposed That's to a good point.
4: dumped in in a one hour.
2: That's a good take, and I think that it's valid. I think that you do want to make sure that you're getting your reviews genuinely and authentically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know that there have been some beauty brands that have been sued for mm-hmm. creating fake reviews. Really? And that is a thing. Wow. And I'm, it definitely happens on Amazon too. So you do want to be cautious about yeah. this and there is no way to determine if something is a real or a fake review. So right. this is on companies to really be responsible.
3: Yeah. I think Amazon tries to combat that a little bit with a verified buyer, a verified mm-hmm. purchaser. right? right. And that's important. Um, but still, I wonder if you know, if Amazon gave them the product, if they would still have that badge because it's verified that they actually did get the product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Well, something something to keep in yeah, mind, some something to be cautious areas. of. Yeah, yes. but
2: you know, for the most part, I think that if you see an ad and it's got a five star mm-hmm. under it, even on social media, it's not necessarily showing a review all the time. But I know that you know an ad copy will often put a review in the actual ad copy, maybe a little, the, you know, five-star emojis. It really does just seem to get, you know, higher click-through rates and sometimes higher conversion rates too. Mm -hmm. I think that we're all kind of geared to look at five stars and think, okay, yes, safe,
4: good. Exactly.
3: Yeah. It's good to do your research like you did and make sure they weren't (laughs) all posted within an hour and (laughs) a half time frame. Right.
4: But I did click because it was five stars. Right. It got me in the door, so it's just a matter of conversions, which is kind of the case for any source, be it on Walmart Amazon, social. I mean, I, I think it really does tie back to, to optimizing for conversions because mm-hmm. I, I charged them however many dollars it was to click that ad and then I got scared away. And so yep. does the report touch on any conversion rate focuses or, or anything along those lines?
3: Somewhat. Kind of throughout the report, we talk a little bit about conversion rates in different formats. So,
4: yeah. <laughs> and I, I think you have the tagline in there, prepare for visitors.
3: Oh, yes. yes. Optimize
4: for conversions. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Because yeah. what, what we do is we prepare for visitors on the paid search side of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, we can push you towards a conversion, buy now, sale ends, things like that. But but when you think about it, our jobs are to get people to your site or to your Mm -hmm. Amazon store and things like that. Yeah,
3: which
2: quality people, right? The right people. Go (laughs) well. You know, I think that we talked about this in our brand attribution marketing episode Mm -hmm. about you know we can look at click through rate all day long, but when it comes down to it, sometimes the ad with the best click through rate isn't the one that's eventually going to convert. Right. So you want to make sure that you're attracting high high-quality users to your website, and that might not be the highest click-through rate one. So, you know, with reviews, maybe this is something that everyone should test to see, you Mm -hmm. know, do they just get a higher click-through rate or Mm -hmm. do they actually convert more?
3: Right. And the other thing with conversions, too, even if you're getting the really high-quality people and you're getting all of them to your website, if your website isn't optimized for conversions, then it's not really going to matter that much. That's very true, too. Please optimize your website for
2: conversions.
3: (laughs)
1: Right.
3: It's just like your customer can't buy your product if they don't know about it. If they do find out about your product and get to your website and it's not optimized for conversions, it's not easy to use, things aren't clearly found, they're not going to buy your product. It's going to be hard for them to find it. And I feel
2: like that has been just a huge theme of almost every episode we've recorded lately. Mm -hmm. So tying everything together, Mm -hmm. Sarah, you did a ton of research for this report If you were to wrap it all up into just a few takeaways, what would some of them be?
3: Well, we talked a lot about artificial intelligence and how that's kind of a big thing now with Google Smart Shopping and other platforms that are using automation. Mm -hmm. So it's not really something of the future. It's something of right now. So you really need to be investing your efforts now so that you can stay at the forefront of this digital landscape that is just always changing. And those new advertising innovations like Google Smart Shopping and also Amazon DSP have opened the door for advertisers to capitalize on different improved ad customizations, more granular audience targeting, and just smarter bidding and budgeting in general. Another thing is that paid search, like we've talked about, it's very multi-channel. It's not just Google anymore. You need to pay attention not only to display and shopping, but also Amazon, Facebook, YouTube. You need to just adopt a multi-channel mindset for your brand's PPC strategy. Maybe yeah. even go on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> maybe.
4: <laughs> and <just> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. No, I've thrown enough shade their way.
3: Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm with you.
2: Yeah. I'm with you. It's just a it's a weird channel. It is. It is definitely a weird to. place,
3: and it might just be one of the digital fads to come and go. But for now, it's a direct line to those I, yeah almost forty percent of consumers. So exactly. if, if I had a company who's like primary audience was
2: Gen Zers, <laughs> I would be looking into TikTok advertising.
4: Well, I guess stay tuned for an episode on TikTok once we all adopt <laughs> it yeah. as an agency and have a service built. Oh up. boy! <laughs> <laughs> well, Sarah, seriously, thank you so much for sitting down and discussing this with us. Yeah,
3: thank you for having me. Yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, I mean. 40 pages. I I couldn't tell you yeah. the last time I wrote anything over 2 pages. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it's just impressive to see how much you've been able to really boil down and summarize in this report. And so folks, we really only gave you one out of 15 of the secret tips included here and these are our real takeaways that you can roll out in your advertising strategy today.
0: Thank you for joining us again for the Supplier Community podcast. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and like we said at the beginning, You can find us online anytime at supplier.community. Supplier Community brings you the experts.
1: You've been listening to another episode of the Supplier Community Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. To get in touch with us, any of our experts, or to be featured as a Supplier Community expert, reach out to Amanda at supplier.community.